Thanks for the invitation to be here with you guys. I see some some old faces and some of them pretty old. <coughs> uh, I, uh, my wife and I turned up um, at uh, what was Montmorency Gospel Chapel in 1994, broken and shattered and disappointed. The pulpit was over there. Somebody moved the pulpit. Was it you? Probably Terry Hutchison. Yeah. Forgot to take his bill and forgot to take his medication and came down the church and changed everything. Is that what happened, mate? <laughs> we used to come here on Sunday and um the only reason I came on Sunday was because I knew that the place of God's blessing is the local church and it's about all I could hang on to at that point in our life and um, so uh, <coughs> some individuals in this church lovingly and caringly nursed us back to, to spiritual health and uh, so this church will always hold a very special place in our heart and it's a great honour to uh, to be here and I uh, assure you that I will grow, uh, will treat a pulpit in this church with great respect. Josh, apparently the word is he's been preaching here a little bit. <clears throat> well, I want to tell you something. God called him to preach and I'm well aware of that. Um, and when he preached his first sermon, I went upstairs and he was in his 25th hour of preparation for that sermon and it went 12.5 minutes. I thought, God help him if he ever preaches a real sermon. <laughs> and I said to him that day, I said, Josh, I'm only going to tell you one thing about preaching. There'll be other people who can help you. But one thing I do want to tell you, when you stand up and you look into the face of God's people, don't you ever shortchange them. He preached the word of God to them, the living word of God and nothing else because that's our necessary food and substance. Amen? You say amen in this church or not? Hey, go after some amens. That's good. It's like, like saying, sick him to a dog after a cat when you say, yeah, amen, I like that. Um, and uh, Josh's eyes got really big. I said, don't be afraid uh, because when you get onto the pulpit, uh, if you've done your preparation and your heart's prepared the Holy Spirit, We'll um, we'll uh, we'll do the rest, and um, as uh, I'm sure you know, he will. And you know what I've done here? This is really cool. Um, do you know what's a sign of getting old? You wear glasses. You know what's a sign of getting really old? You leave them in the pew. <laughs> Good on you, brother. Thank you very much. <laughs> Last week I was preaching in Ballarat, and I forgot to put this thing. I had this thing hanging down here, so I might as well not have had it on. So. Uh, this week's just glasses, I did pretty well. Alright, well that's enough taxing around, let's take off. Please turn on the light. <coughs> Next week, provided I don't get thrown out after this week, uh, will be, please pass the salt. Amen. But today, please turn on the light. 
When I was um, a teenager, I actually was a teenager at one point, uh, it's difficult to remember, but I was in fact a teenager at one point, very, very good boy, very quiet, uh, very easy to parent, I was, an, I was a wonderful uh, teenage boy and none of you know any different because you weren't there. So, <laughs> And my mum and dad are in heaven and they're not telling, so there you are. <laughs> but... Um, I went on a school trip down to Tasmania. Uh, we wanted to see whether the rumours were true, and they were. But we went down to Tasmania and we went on a, a, a tour and uh, we went to Queenstown. Raise your hand if you've ever been to Queenstown in Tasmania. You've been in the mine? Oh, did you go in the mine? Uh, of course you did, yeah. We went in the mine, deep in under this mountain, and we, I don't know how far back we were, but it seemed a long way. And some clown thought it would be a really good idea to turn out the light. Before the bloke turned out the light, he said, when I turn the light out, you will experience total darkness. There is absolutely zero light where we are in the tunnel. Now, you can't be prepared for that because there's nothing in your brain that that even at night when you go out, there's stars there's light, there's reflected light from the universe, there's always some light but he said it's complete darkness and he turned off the light. It's like, it's so stifling. It it just sits on you, this darkness and it seemed like about an hour, it was probably about 15 seconds and you felt yourself saying, please turn on the light. Poof, the light came back on. You almost feel people breathing again. It's a terrible sense of, um, of oppressive darkness. And I don't know what it is about that place, but I don't know whether it was set up this way, but they took us to Port Arthur long before the notorious shootings there and um, took us through the um, uh, uh, jail, you know, the, pen- the, the what was the penitentiary there on the island at Port Arthur and we're making our way through. Now, once again, I don't know what sickness there is in Tasmania that makes people do this, but the guy who was taking us through, he said, we're going to take you to the solitary confinement cell and we're going to put you in there and turn the lights out and guess what you'll experience? Yeah, we know. We've done it before, two days ago. Total abject darkness. And that's what happened. Poof. And you can't see your hand there and you can't see the other kid there and you don't know whether you're being pickpocketed. It's no good. And once again, you feel yourself saying, please turn on the light. The light comes back on, you breathe again and it's like, I need to go back to Victoria where people don't do things like this, do you? Talk about torture. I was so scarred by the experience I never went back to Tasmania for 35 years. So there you are, we're going down there again in, in February to try to you know, recover some balance in our life. It's been 50 years since that experience and I still remember it so vividly, you see, um, because that's what darkness does to you. God is light and in him, what? There's no darkness at all. Let me tell you this about darkness. When there is light, there is no darkness. There's no such thing as something being half dark. There's either light or there's not light. When there's light, there's no darkness because the light defeats the darkness and it drives it back and it cannot touch you. 
because of the light. doesn't matter how much light there is. God said, thy, thy word is a lamp under my feet and a light under my path. And all it took was a tiny little candle like that on the, on the ankle of an, of an Israeli. As he put his foot forward, he could see enough light. It drove back the darkness and allowed him to see enough light to take the next step by faith. And that's how, uh, that's how God represents light. I'd like you to turn with me. We're going to skip around the scriptures a bit. I'd like you to turn with me, please, to Genesis chapter 1 very first book of the Bible, very first chapter of the Bible. It says this in verse, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> in verse 3. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was what? It was good. Because up until this point in time, if you look at the very first verse of the Bible, it says, darkness was upon the face of the deep and God spoke light into existence. Um, my training and my career has all been about science and um, I, uh, I love these, um, my colleagues who, uh, who think that by telling me that, that, that we've now proven that there was a big bang, um, you know that we've put to rest the Christian faith. I said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I have the Bible here and you know what I hear in the Bible here? It said, God spoke and there was light. God opened his mouth and light come flying out at 186,000 miles per second. You know how fast that is, people? That means in one second of time you'll have circumnavigated the earth eight times. Light came flying out of his mouth and he spoke into existence the, all of all of the universe, every single uh, heavenly body, Christ spoke them into existence. There was a bang, all right. You wouldn't have wanted to have been around that bang. Not at 186,000 miles per second. Of course there was a big bang. You know what's the problem with these, with these poor people that are deluded? Um, and living in darkness. The problem with them is they tell us there's a big bang and all this stuff went out and by some, and by some, by some whatever, they all started to synchronously move. Exactly right. Just like it happens when you grab a, hunk of, a bunch of stones and throw them up and they all just start to magically do this. No, they don't. They just fall to the ground. That's the first thing. But the second thing is, where did the matter come from? Uh, no, oh, no answer. I didn't think so. I've never met a scientist with an answer either. I said, if you take God out of the equation, you make a fool out of yourself. You do. You're foolish if you do that. God said you, you were that. We had a little pipsqueak come into our clinic and told me he was an atheist. I said, I doubt it. He said, what do you mean? I said, you're an atheist. You're telling me there's no God. You, you know that there's no God. He said, yes. I said, you know what? You're a fool. Our doctor-patient relationship became a little strained at that point in time. <coughs> and, and I said, and it's not me who's telling you you're a fool. God said you're a fool. Psalm 14 and verse 1 says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. What a dumb thing to say. 
I said, if you want to say there could be a God but I don't know how to know him, I can understand that sort of, a, um, that sort of ignorance and we can help you with that. But there's another thing. <clears throat> a fellow said to me, well, if there is a God, he said, even if you're right, he said, I haven't done enough wrong to be sent to hell. I said, I thought you were an atheist. That completely destroyed the relationship and uh, he, he went to another chiropractor um, with all sorts of stories. <laughs> what we see here, folks, is this, and I want you to turn to see the flip side of this in Revelation chapter 21, all the way to the other end of the Bible. Revelation chapter 21. And verse 23 <coughs> tells us this. Verse 23 says this, it's talking about the glory of the new Jerusalem which has come down from come down as a bride out of heaven and says this the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illumined it and the lamb, that's Christ and the lamb was the light thereof you see, folks, God is light and it's not because he's switching on and off a light. It is the very character of God. It's the very, it's the very essence of who God is, is light. Wherever Christ is, light enters in and darkness flees. A woman lost her son and they're moaning and throwing dust in the air and going to, to bury the sun and Jesus turns up. Not even the dead can stay dead in his presence. Jesus turns up and says, up you get. The light enters, the darkness flees. Amen. We're doing a series um, and I'm pastor now of a church in Ballarat and we're doing a series this year on miracles. Do you know why we're doing that series on miracles? It's because I want people sitting in that pew to know that they serve a mighty God, that they serve a God who supersedes everything to do with nature. They serve a God who can divinely intervene in the affairs of man and change the course of the world for that person. I want them to appreciate just how great God is, just how majestic he is, just how capable he is. He's not hamstrung by anything. He's not hamstrung by the devil. He's not hamstrung by government. And he's not hamstrung by your sin. He's, he's hamstrung by nothing. He is all powerful. And I want our people to get six months down the track to know that when we launch out to start the evangelisation of a whole, a whole new suburb in Ballarat, we better let them know because we're coming. And we're bringing the gospel of a powerful God of heaven and we're looking for pe- to see people brought safely to faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Hopefully I can come back next January and tell you um, about how exciting that was to see the power of God sweep into that place and, and drive back the darkness. <clears throat> the character of God, the very character of God is, is light. Turn with me now to Leviticus, please. Chapter 24, you know... Leviticus, this is the, the book we all read once a month. Hmm. Not. 
<coughs> Great book. Leviticus 24. The first four verses tell us this. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the children of Israel that they bring to you pure oil of pressed olives uh, for the light to make the lamps burn continually outside the veil of the testimony in the tabernacle of meeting Aaron shall be in charge of it from evening until morning before the Lord I want you to see this next word what's the next word? continually it's never to go out it's never to go out he's in charge of it Aaron's in charge of it from the evening till the morning so that uh, before the Lord continually it shall be a statute forever in your generations he shall be in charge of the lamps on the pure gold lampstand before the Lord what? continually never stops never goes out what a tremendous significance this is let me paint the picture for you the tabernacle they take it up they move it they put it up they put it, set it up again they take it down they move it they set it up again uh, this was their lot and they set this up and it had, it had three compartments to it it had the outer court it had the holy place and then it had the holy of holies Okay, the outer court everybody could come to the brazen altar was there, the labour was there and they brought their sacrifices there and I want to explain something to you here. When, when, a, when, an, when an Israelite brought a lamb into that, into that place and they slaughtered that lamb and they shed its blood and they put the blood uh, on the altar, that didn't save anybody. It didn't save a soul. What it did with, what it did is it covered their sin. Their sin was covered, not forgiven. You need to grasp this, people. Was, it was covered and not forgiven. We don't use them anymore. There's some old people in the, in the congregation um, I can see who would know what a check was. Um, it was a thing that you used to, it was a piece of paper that you used to write on and, and it, it was a sort of, it was actually worth money. And this covering was a bit like a post-dated cheque. Now Robert Willett, the past master in this region for post-dated cheques because he could earn a bit more interest on his money before he actually paid it out. Uh, I learned all this from him. Um, so a post-dated cheque means that you write the cheque today but doesn't become payable till February the 1st. Yeah? Or later if you're a good enough negotiator. <coughs> so you write the cheque, you've paid the money, you take the goods, and on January the 1st they bank it and through it goes. The sacrifices were like that post dated cheque. And, and one after another, hundreds of times, down through the ages, one sacrifice after another sacrifice, after another sacrifice, sin covered. They would then take a goat, a useless creature, put 
the sin of the nation on that goat and drive it into outer darkness in the wilderness as a sign of the sin being put outside the camp. But <clears throat> and down the track, my dyslexia is showing. <laughs> down the track, along came the Lamb of God, and He took upon Him the sin of the world. And the moment that He raised His voice to heaven and said, "It is finished." Every one of those post-dated checks was cashed in and every single one of those people that waited in paradise was swept out of that thing as clean as a whistle with their sin forgiven because the Lamb of God had paid the perfect price. A lamb from the flock could never pay the price that God wanted. It was a picture of what was to come and Christ was the fulfilment of that picture. If you want to see that in full, go and read the book of Hebrews. And after you've read it and didn't understand it, read it a whole bunch more times and a little bit by bit it'll start to become clear to you. Sort of. Um, <laughs> it's quite a book. <clears throat> Amen. The light in the temple, you didn't get to the light in the temple until you'd come through the sacrifice. You had to first of all deal with sin before you got to have fellowship. Nothing's changed. If you have sin, you don't have fellowship. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Don't argue with me about it. That's what the scripture says. <clears throat> Once you got past there and you went into the holy place, there were the lamps that burnt continually. And once you got in there, the light from the lamps showed you the, sh- the table of showbread. The table of showbread is representative of the word of the living God. You can't get anything from that without the illumination of the light. Amen? You can't. But the illumination of the light brings the truth to your heart. And then, of course, there's the altar of incense. And the altar of incense that's there... um, is representative of fellowship with Almighty God in prayer. And there's one other thing you will see. There's one other thing you will see when you go in there. And that is you will see the veil that says, that separates the Holy of Holies where God was resident um, with the, with the um, Ark of the Covenant and the veil was there and embroidered onto that veil was a picture of a cherubim. Don't get any fancy ideas about cherubims being little tiny babies that aren't wearing nappies that shoot arrows at people to make them fall in love. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. A cherubim, the word means um, burners, these are fiery, um, frightening creatures. If you want to see a, a picture of cherubim, you go to Isaiah 6. And Isaiah 6 is, a, Isaiah says in the year that King Uzziah died, which made it a very significant year for Isaiah. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And buzzing around and around were these three cherubim and the one guy said, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the second one said, Holy, holy, 
holy is the Lord God Almighty. You reckon that third one could have come up with something different? He said, holy. He's holy. And when you say that, you've said it all. He's holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And these cherubim, these fiery cherubim that circle around the very throne of God are there to protect the very holiness of God. Such, such import does God put on his holiness. You get an understanding why he has such a deep hatred for the ugliness of sin. Amen? A deep, deep guttural hatred for sin because of his holiness. It's offensive to him in every possible way. And that cherubim, the light from the lamps, shines on that veil and that cherubim says, stay out. Because once a year, the high priest can enter here with a rope on his leg. And if there's unconfessed sin that he takes into the presence of the holiness of God, bang, down he goes. And they drag him out and hold up the rope and say, next. Now, if that happened today, I'd say, listen, Sam Libraperto or Bob Willett, but not me. Take one of those guys, these holy guys, but don't, uh, don't go and take me. You see, folks, the, 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 the significance of this is the light must never go out because the light, the light lights the holiness of God. It illumines the word of God and it draws you to prayer and it draws you to fellowship and intimacy with Jehovah. That's what the light does. Darkness puts that out. Come with me, would you, please? to John chapter 8. In case you're getting worried about your um, Sunday roast, um, we're nearly there. John chapter 8. <coughs> wow. In John chapter 7, Jesus is with his disciples and um, wants you to try to get a grip on this book of John here. <coughs> there were seven festivals that made up the annual cycle of Israel. Okay? Seven festivals. <clears throat> and that made up the cycle of the spiritual life of the nation of Israel. <clears throat> the Gospel of John, John records the activities and the words and the sermons of Christ related to his attendance at those seven festivals and in John chapter 7 it's time, it's harvest time so the, 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 the harvest has, has been brought in and a, and a, and a huge festival that's going to last for eight days is about to take place um, and Jesus is with his disciples and the disciples say well Lord we've got to go we've got to get up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles the Feast Listen carefully. You'll miss the point of me coming from Ballarat here. The feast of the ingathering. Yeah? The feast of the ingathering. The ingathering of the harvest. Listen carefully, folks. 
the feast of the ingathering. Jesus said, you go up, my time has not yet come. I'll be coming up later. And he did go up later. And as he got up there to the Feast of Tabernacles, one of the things that they do was the priest would come out with a, with a bucket of wine and an empty bucket and he would follow a circuitous route down to the Pool of Siloam and when he got to the Pool of Siloam, he would dip that bucket in and pull out the water and he'd make his way back to the portico, the, 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 the women's... Um, the women's um, uh, something, the court of the women, that's it, the court of the women, which incidentally, fellows, is also called the, the treasury. Um, it's been going on for a long time. Uh, but there you are. Uh, the, so the court of the, of the women, <coughs> it'd come back and that would be an offering, for, the wine would be an offering of thanksgiving for the ingathering that had taken place. The water was... <coughs> was a request before Almighty God for enough rain to be doing this again next year as an act of faith. And Jesus said there, and he stood there and he said, I am the water of life. And you drink of me, you never thirst again. Can you imagine what that meant to the Israeli mind? I'm the water of life. Get a feeling for why the Pharisees hated him so much. <clears throat> now, during this, this festival of tabernacles, there was four menorah. You know what a menorah is? You guys know what menorah is? It's, a, it's like a, a big pipe that goes up like that with all these other smaller pipes that come out and, um, and they have uh, burned candles. And it's the, it's the national symbol of Israel um, is the menorah. They had four menorah up here on this thing and the priest would come and ceremonially light it. Let me tell you just how, how significant this is. It was covered in gold. Gold is representative of the Messiah. He is the king. He's the king of, he's the king of everything. And, and the king was represented by gold. And that centre thing was representative um, of the Messiah and the seven ones coming off were representative of the seven spirits of God. Go and read Revelation chapter 1, you'll see that there. And the light is the light of God. And it was such a light. It wasn't just a little thing like this. It was a massive light and they say that you could see the light would light up the actual hills of Judea all the way around. So the festival was a festival of thanksgiving and praise and worship. And there was dancing and singing and worship and joy and rejoicing. Bear in mind, this has just followed Rosh Hashanah, the new year, and Yom Kippur, atonement. They've just been through all of that thinking about sin and judgment and atonement and now there's this tremendous joy at this ingathering and I'll finish with this <clears throat> there were three festivals that the Jews invited their Gentile neighbours to from every nation 
from every nation, Gentiles would come and this was one of them. This was one of them. And here is the fulfilment of the messianic prophecy. Here are the Jews at the temple. Here are people from every nation you can imagine. And Jesus stands with all this light going on. Jesus stands and he says, I am the light of the world to all nations. I'm the light of the world to all nations. There's a clear and a definite fulfilment of the messianic prophecy of Christ from Isaiah 49 and from Malachi chapter 4 verses 1 to 4. You can read those later. And here is the perfect fulfilment, not just as Jews there, but here is the nations of the world and Jesus stands before them. Now folks, I want to just tell you this. Jesus is light. He is the only light. There's Christ or there's darkness. Take your pick. But there's no alternative. There's no other way. It's Jesus or it's darkness. Everybody needs the light. The light of God on planet Earth, planet Earth was created by God to be the receptacle of his light. He's the owner. It's the, it's the light of the owner of planet Earth and sin is the invader and the ugliness and darkness that it brings was never an intention of God but the light of God drives it away and one day, one day and soon and very soon this world will see nothing but the light of Christ as he comes and rules and reigns and his rightful throne and then there will be hell and hell is darkness and we're back where we started outer darkness the whole notion of hell has no place in the creative act of God it's not even part of the creative act of God and will be held somewhere other than in the beautiful light reflecting um, creation of the living God and people who make the choice to go to hell by their unbelief will be in abject darkness you know what folks take this home with you we started this service an hour and a quarter ago in that time over 200 Australians drew their last breath and many of those are now in that place until he comes until he comes please turn on the light please turn on the light and let the world see how the presence the divine presence drives away the darkness he's left it in your hands God bless you it's been a pleasure to be with you today